Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is the Athletic Football Show. Welcome to the Athletic Football Show. I'm Robert Mays, and we are coming to you guys from, I guess it's the media center now at the Super Bowl. It's no longer Radio Row. It's 2023. We're calling things different things. But we are at the Super Bowl in Phoenix, Arizona. Very, very excited to be here. And very excited to do the show. One of my favorite shows that we do every single year. Going to talk to our Chiefs writer at The Athletic a little bit later, Nate Taylor, about how the Chiefs got here. Uh, just talking about their path to this point, some of the guys that maybe we don't think enough about as people not around these teams every day, really tap into the wonderful resource of the guys that cover the teams for The Athletic that we have. And speaking of that, joining us first are two Eagles writers from The Athletic. First of all, good friend, Bull Wolf. Bull, how you doing, man? I'm doing good. Thanks for having us. Very excited. And also joining us is Zach Berman. Zach, thank you for doing this. Great to be here. I, I never am good at introducing two people. I <laughs> never know how to do it because I've always joked that the podcast intro, it's like the Zoolander thing where you can't turn left. I have to do the same intro every single time or I just wouldn't be able to do it. So whenever there's two people, I just start to get out of my depth. It's hard to introduce Zach. Is there, there are so many superlatives that you could start with. You get sort of paralyzed by choice. Zach, let's start with you. I, my first thought about this team is that it doesn't feel like it's been this long. It's been, it doesn't feel like it's been that long since we did this. 2017, and maybe it's longer ago than I'm probably giving it credit for, but it's only been five years. And I wanted to ask you, what do you think is the biggest difference with the way this week feels, with the way this team feels, all of those aspects with this team compared to the 2017 team. Sure. Well, in, in 2017, it was very much playing with house money. Yeah. And it seemed that way from the time Carson Wentz was injured in Los Angeles that year through the playoff run. And the, the underdog mantra, you know, with the dog masks that they were wearing, the fact that they were underdogs in every postseason game, that that really caught on. And the fact they were playing against the ultimate Goliath at the time, right? Tom yeah. Brady, Bill Belichick, and 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 the Patriots. The Eagles, conversely, they, they and, and when I say the Eagles, this year's Eagles team, they expected to be here. And it became pretty clear relatively early on in the season, especially, you know, week two, they, they beat Minnesota Monday night. They have, they, they start... What, 8-0, 9-0, and, uh, and they were just rolling. And then you, you compound that with the fact that Rodgers had a down year, Brady had a down year, the Rams had a down year, and there, and there was no heavyweight in the NFC. It seemed the Eagles were that heavyweight. So, and, and then they've been favored in every game this year except Christmas Eve when Gardner Minshew was starting in Dallas on a short week. Other than that... Uh, this, this has been the expected outcome, and they very much carry themselves that way. Like, you, you look at their point differential this year, it's absurd. You, you look at their point differential in the, in the playoffs. They won, they won 38-7 and 31-7, right? right? So, like, they are a juggernaut right now. And I, I think they – so the big difference between the two teams is, is the expectation, the, the, the front-runner status, if you will, of this team compared to – 2017. Yeah, I think 2017, because the Eagles had never won the Super yes. Bowl before, those, those um, like the weight of that was with them. That was much more of like an exorcism, I feel like, when they, when they got that done. Whereas now, that deck has been cleared. I think it's nice that, you know, it's Eagles versus Andy Reid. Both sides have won their Super Bowl. They don't have that weight with them. Whereas this team is sort of going in with their, 
you know, their chests out. Like, we feel like we are the best team in football, period. Now is our chance to sort of go prove it. And that's kind of what I was getting at, just because when you fit, when you win one, things change. With the organization, with the guys who've been there before, but also kind of with the city and the fan base. So how do you feel like Eagles fans interface with this team differently maybe than that first time around, Zach? I think the first time around, they just wanted to win, yeah. right? It was, it was as, as Bo said, they had never won before, right? Uh, and, you know, the, the tears on the street and the stories you would hear about the linking of, of generations. I mean, there are uh, kids in, in grade school now who, who what they know is the Eagles winning the Super Bowl. And, you know, and those you, kids are going to be unsufferable. <laughs> and, and you compound that in a year when the Phillies were in the World Series. You know, the, the Sixers are playing well. Uh, the, I think the fan base now, there's still very much, if, if you're an Eagles fan, there's always that chip on, on your shoulder. I mean, it's, it's what Jason Kelsey said during the parade. You know, you, uh, I, what? They don't like us, we don't care. They don't like us, we don't care. I was going to sing it, but I, I, I felt like. Uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> And so maybe late night. <laughs> so yeah, there, there's there's always that part of Eagles fans, but as you referenced, it's it's not the the like forbidden fruit anymore. I mean, they've they've tasted it. They know what a parade feels like in Philadelphia. Yeah, and I think it sort of had to happen the way it did. Where as you said, like that that first one had to be they were the underdogs. Yep. Like they they got to carry that chip on them sh- on their shoulder as opposed to being the favorites and worrying. Like, oh, here we go again, like all the times it happened in the NFC Championship with game with, with Andy Reid, right? This morning, Bob, I was listening to our conversation from training camp and just about the way we felt about this team back in August. We nailed it, didn't we? we actually, it actually holds up very well. I, I feel pretty good about it. There are some, skeleton, some take skeletons in my closet. I can tell you guys that right now. I feel okay about that one. We'll just rerun that bad boy on the feed this you week. Might yeah. as well. So one of the things that you said that I, I thought was really interesting was about Jalen Hurts and just about – the expectations on him and kind of the pressure on him going into the season. And we all knew this, right? The Eagles maintain flexibility in next year's draft, I think, maybe in part because they didn't know what was going to happen with Jalen Hurts, and they didn't know what sort of pivot they may need a quarterback heading into next season. And you said something that I think looks pretty prescient now in that if Jalen Hurts was the same quarterback he was in 2021 this year, the addition of talent on offense and defense for Philly, still an 11-win team, still a playoff team, the ceiling changes on this team based on how much Jalen Hurts progresses. So when did you know that that ceiling was going to change as it relates to Jalen Hurts? I think week two. Uh, I think week one, they won the game because of Jalen Hurts in that game, but it was a sort of a Jalen Hurts that we had seen. It was you know a bunch of man blitzes, and he was escaping and winning with his legs. Week two, you played that. It was a very like static Viking zone, and he just picked it apart, and he showed like the ability to be a sort of a precision passer that we weren't quite sure was going to be there and after that it was like okay this offense can win in any way any week and and Jalen Hurts can sort of play in any way any week and like the Jalen Hurts development is so interesting and has made me like rethink a lot of my priors and he's turned me into like you know a uh, an intangibles believer, which I might not have been before. And that's probably a problem because there are only so many Jalen Hurtses, like guys wired like that. But he it really is like wired in this pathological way where this is what he cares about every single day, getting better. Um, and you hear like the, um, you know, the, like the Sabinisms that he says day in and day out. And you're like, okay, like we get it, we get it. But it really is, and, and Zach can, can talk about this more, but like this is the way that he really approaches his day-to-day, and it matters. And there are other things that like, okay, does it really matter that this is the first time he's playing a second year in an offensive scheme since high school? I mean, I think it turns out that yeah. it, it did matter a little bit, and maybe not as much as the addition of A.J. Brown did, but all of those things on the margins combined with like his ability to really, really get better every year uh, I think has raised, raised their ceiling. As somebody who has watched it every day, Zach, over the last two years, what do you think? Intangibles is a great point. I think that that's something we've learned a lot. Of, a lot of these quarterback success stories the last couple of years. Josh Allen, that's like the quiet thing about why Josh Allen became great. As somebody who's watched this process every single day, what else do you think we don't appreciate enough about how Jalen Hurts got from point A to point B? The, the factors Bo outlined uh, are all applicable, right? The, the, the continuity in the offensive scheme, the, um, obviously the weapons around him, you're going to be a better passer when you throw to A.J. Brown than, than when you throw to Jalen Rager, right? That's, that's just the reality of the situation. Um, the triple threat. <laughs> yeah, but, but then I, I think, too, just the, the, 
it, it can't be overstated how much better he's how much he's improved and how how comfortable he is with the offense. I, I spoke to Brian Johnson, the quarterback's coach, who said like Jalen Hurts comes back to the sideline with the information that's exactly what he's supposed to see. And Brian Johnson Give me an example. So in between drives, so so here's an example. They had a week 14 win against the Giants where there was a highlight real play there, a touchdown to Devontae Smith down the right sideline on a fourth down. When that's, the a, Giants, that's an inch away from getting tipped by the safety, yeah. too. Like a that, terrible play yeah. by Julian Love. Yeah. And, Maybe and, that's why he's calling it easy. <laughs> and, ride, yeah. and the Giants were, were sending the blitz at the line, and, uh, and Jalen Hurts identified the blitz, rerouted Smith's route, and you know it set up a touchdown. Smith made the, the extraordinary catch, but that factored into it. But then on the drive before, there was – I think it was a second and eight or second and four. Um, but it was, a, it was a second down pass to Zach Paschal when the Eagles had a look they really liked, but it just didn't materialize. And he knew exactly where to go at, at the right moment to move the chain. And it was just a check down to Paschal, but the coaches pointed to that. And, uh, and there was a point earlier this year when Brian Johnson did a television interview leading up to, I think, a Monday night football game. And he was asked about Jalen being a dual-threat quarterback. And Brian was, was thinking in his head about the narrative surrounding quarterbacks. And he came back to Jalen and he said, you're not a dual-threat quarterback. You're a triple-threat quarterback. You beat teams with your arm, you beat teams with your legs, and you beat teams with your mind. I like and I think you're seeing the mind part of it more this year than ever before. I was talking to – I don't know if I've told the story on the podcast. I was talking to a member of the Eagles coaching staff at one point during the season, and he was telling me about a moment from practice. And there was this nickel corner was just like creeping like a little bit, like one or two steps further than he should. And Jalen saw it and checked into something. And when they were watching the tape back, maybe the next day, like, why did you do that? And he couldn't articulate why he changed the play. He's just like, I don't, I don't know. Like, I just, there's something mm. about the way that he was moving. And it makes it, it's such a good indication and a good example of how articulating developments of quarterbacks is difficult. Like sometimes there are these things that you can't put your finger on it, why they're better at, x or y but they get there and i think that there are so many aspects of jalen hurts's play this year that have kind of exemplified that and there are you know there are so many times when you talk to a coach about quarterback development and it's just like you have to bank those reps right yes. you got to bank those reps in practice you have to bank those reps in a game and it's still hard to like internalize that and not get ahead of yourselves and and you know make these judgments and i you know i'm guilty of that we're too. gonna do it a thousand more a, a times. times right <laughs> but like that stuff does matter and you know jalen hurts has like his bank of reps from you know starts in college to now it, like it makes a huge difference yeah. and and i think you, you saw that play out this year a little bit. i also think there's a, a media lesson there too and a fan lesson that oftentimes there's a rush from like day one of a player's career to say you're either for him or against him. You're a Hurts guy or you're an anti-Hurts guy. But, like, Jalen's better now than he was in the playoff game against Tampa Bay last year. He was better at Oklahoma than he was at Alabama. Players can get better, and your opinions of, of them evolve as they progress. Zach Wilson excluded. <laughs> I, coming into the season, I so desperately wanted to pick the Eagles to win the NFC and go to the Super Bowl. When I was looking at the roster, it felt in so many ways like the 2017 roster after the C.J. Gardner-Johnson trade, all of those things, because you look at it top to bottom, it's like, this team has no personnel weaknesses. The one thing that we were talking about in camp where it's like, I don't know about this position group, was safety. And that mm -hmm. was before the trade. So I'm sitting there looking at the roster, and I was like, I want to believe so much in the rest of what they've built here, but I, that Tampa Bay game is just stuck in my brain. I couldn't get over it because I was just imagining them on the road in Tampa Bay or against a really good Dallas defense. And it's what you're talking about, Zach. It's like, that's okay. It's okay to have not believed in Jalen Hurts in that moment, and now he's gotten better, and our opinion of him has shifted. So talking about that C.J. Gardner-Johnson trade, this is, it's a hard question with this team specifically because they did so much tinkering. But what do you think was the most important move that they made over the last offseason? And then if it's one of the big-name guys, which it probably should be, what do you think is the quieter move that maybe we don't understand the impact of on the outside looking in? That's a good question. I, th I think the two big moves are the two big moves that they made, A.J. Brown and Hassan Reddick. And, you know, Zach and I have argued about, like, which one matters a little bit more. What's your, what's your take? I go A.J. Brown, he goes Hassan Reddick. But I think they're it's both. It's a really good conversation. They're both very, they're, yeah, they're both good, uh, viable answers. What's your A.J. Brown case? Well, offense matters more, and okay. uh, you know he he led in some very specific ways to 
the way that Jalen Hurts needed to develop. You know, over, passes over the middle of the field, passes down the field. Uh, he opened that up. He made, you know, Devontae Smith a little bit less of a target for opposing defenses and opened things up for Dallas Goddard. I just, you know, Hassan Reddick turned around what was the second worst pass rush in the league by, by sack rate last year to the best. So maybe that matters more, but I just, you know, offense matters more. That's, that's why A.J. Brown. What's your Hassan Reddick case? The most important thing you do on defense is affect the quarterback, and he affects the quarterback better than anyone they've had in a long time. Like Bo said, 31st in sacks last year, first in sacks this year by a major, by like a historical margin almost. Uh, 16 and a half, he, 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 he led the team. So, yeah, I, I think now the, it's, it's like picking your children, right? You, you love them both. But um, he, he is, he's played so outstanding this year. I think for the under-the-radar one, I mean, I would probably say James Bradbury over C.J. Gardner-Johnson. Um, and then part of the, like, the confluence of this season for the Eagles has been that not only is the roster so loaded, but they're able to take advantage of the fact that they've been so healthy. Yeah. Uh, you know, Bradbury was coming off of a, a nagging injury last year. They've got a bunch of guys who have had nagging injuries and have been able to play all season. All 22 of their starters are going to play in the Super Bowl. Uh, but Bradbury, like, making sure that uh, there is no real weakness on the outside opposite Darius Slay. He's been awesome. I'll give Zach credit. Uh, Birds with Friends listeners will know that, that Zach was all over Bradbury in training camp. He's been awesome. Um, and I think that, that the reason I'm less on Gardner-Johnson is he's, he's made some huge splash plays, but there has still been like a, you know, he's, he's adjusting to a new position. He's not always making the right read at safety, and it's not like the defense got much worse when it was Reed Blankenship in there or uh, Marcus Epps in there. They missed some of that playmaking, or, or uh, Avante Maddox moved back there. But uh, they missed some of that playmaking ability. But I think I think Bradbury makes a bigger difference. And then if we're talking like really under the radar, like the the midseason yeah, Linval Joseph, that's, that's, that's to the me. one that to jumps that. out to me. Um, yeah. It has it has completely changed yep. their run defense. They went from you know I think like 29th in the league uh, in success rate to like a top 10, and even by some measures like a top five run defense. And Jordan Davis like was fine. But it was more like this was the body type that they needed as opposed to necessarily this player was going to change, the, change everything. And it, are you worried at all so about good. the fact that Linval Joseph in the middle of the season came in and supplanted a guy drafted with a top 15 pick? Yes. Okay. Yeah, I was absolutely. thinking about that today, and I wasn't sure. Like, eh, should we really be worried? Is it that big of a deal? But you are a little bit concerned about now, that. No, this is, term. again, like, let's not get ahead of ourselves. Let's not do the, the Jalen Hurts yeah. things and make, and, and make a, you know, a, a final decision on, on Jordan Davis. But, yeah, I think it, I think it matters more from, like, a, like a team-building standpoint did you need to trade up for Jordan Davis when you could have probably just signed Linval Joseph and let that pick come to you a little bit more? But, um, I know, we'll, we'll see how Jordan Davis does. I but guess. let me ask you, if, if, if you think over the last decade in the league of which players have played best in that role as the run-stuffing defensive tackle, wouldn't Linval Joseph be fairly high on that list? Yes, but the Chargers' run defense was mm. abysmal last season when he was in the middle of that defense. And I, that's why him playing as well as he has and being such a fit for them it makes me want to go back and just rewatch a bunch of Chargers run fits last year and wonder what the hell was going on. Yeah, I think you'll be the only one doing that. <laughs> no, Nate will. <laughs> Nate's already done it. I promise you, if I asked Nate about it right now, he'd be like, oh, yeah, I was watching week eight when they were playing the Broncos and he was doing this and this. I'll always be second to that shit when it comes to this show. So that's the, the player moves. I wanted to ask you guys, you, your perspective is invaluable for stuff like this especially. Being around every day and just kind of seeing the quieter influence that even people in the building have, assistant coaches, guys who are just around. Zach, who do you think has been the guy who's shaped this team in a way that even Eagles fans or people who don't watch this organization every day probably don't appreciate enough? Well, I mean, this seems like an odd answer to say, but I, I, I would go with Jeffrey Lurie in that I don't know if he totally gets the – the credit it's a great that, that he deserves in that, that there's like a, there's a, a degree of organizational success that they've had. I mean, you look at the two coaches in this game. He hired both as first-time head coaches, yeah. right? And I think that that there's a consistent there's like an overall consistency. Now, now they've had down years, and their down years have been bad, and there are big lessons to learn from those down years. But if if you look at the fact that he's hired five coaches now, right, and Every one of them made the playoffs within the first two years. Uh, I point that out because there are a lot of teams this time of year when we're talking about them hiring coaches, and it's the same teams over and over and over again, and they can't seem to find success. And, and I think that you know there's a chicken or an egg argument, but I, I think part of it is there's, there's, a, there's like an, uh, an institutional consistency that is underrated and underappreciated. Probably. I would 100% agree. I, I, we're, we're talking about it, and, and we're doing it, hopefully something about it later in the week. And 
the way that I've reframed this and them getting back in the way that they have with a different coach, a different quarterback, it's an organizational victory. Like it's, it's an no, organizational no. vision. And I think that it starts at the top. Like you mentioned, I don't think a lot of people would think that way, but I think that's exactly right. What would your answer be? Well, I think it's connected to, to Jeffrey Lurie um, and the things that he emphasizes. And so I would say that one thing that we don't get a good sense of from the outside is like the influence of the analytics department yeah. and, uh, and that side of the building under Alec Hallaby, who was elevated to assistant GM last year. Um, there has been tension between that side of the building and the coaching staff <laughs> yeah, in the past. I recall. <laughs> uh, but I, I think that, like, you, you have to give Nick Sirianni credit um, for embracing that stuff. He has, you know, he said when he was hired that even though he's an offensive coach, like, his gut instinct was to not be so aggressive on fourth down. This year he's embraced that, and I think part of that's because the offense is so good. Like, you're always going to have more faith if you're good at it. And, you know, Kalen wrote that great story about the, the quarterback sneaks being a part of that. But I think, like, because Jeffrey Lurie, like, that is sort of an, an organizational edict that Sirianni has sort of no choice but to embrace that. Um, but I think, that's, I think that that stuff matters a lot. And it's like it's this cloak and dagger part of the building that we don't get a sense of. And, you know, I don't know that it's informing – um, you know, like the players on a day-to-day -day basis, but it's informing the coaching staff and the decisions they make and game planning and stuff like that. So I think that's sort of like the black box that, that we don't fully know. You bring up Sirianni. Is, I was going to ask you about him next. And I'll admit this. What Julian Love said on TV the other day, I'm guilty of thinking something similar, where Brian Dable was my coach of the year, and I think that part of that is colored by the lack of talent that the Giants had on the roster. And because the Eagles are so loaded, I think it's difficult to extricate the impact of the coach from the impact of the talent that he had on the team. What do you think we don't appreciate enough about the coaching job that Nick Sirianni has done this season? Mm, what a tease for uh, the story that's going up on the ah, Athletic tomorrow. The there we go. Look at that. Nick Sirianni. Well, I mean, this, this team, you know, outperformed their preseason win expectation more than any other team in the league. Yes, right? that's kind of what I mean. It's and just they like, did it last I understand that I fuck up in this way. I, I think that, like, you, you know, Jason Kelsey talked about this the other day, that the the um, atmosphere that a coach sets in the building matters so much more than any decision on game day, you know, any third yeah. down call or anything like that, that this team comes into the building every day with an, an emphasis on getting better and being committed to that. And, you know, Sirianni has these five uh, tentpole staples, right? Uh, and it starts with connect. And that sounds like so hokey, like, oh, you want your team to be tight. But the guys in the locker room say, like, that, that stuff does matter. And it's not just like, okay, let's go, like, you know, go bowling together or something like that. It's how do, how do we build that trust with each other? Uh, how do I make you – a player needs to know that you're going to make him better in some way. Yeah. And that is, their, that is their, like, fundamental philosophy. And from there you build the trust that you can call people out. You know, Zach has written about they have these meetings where – like, it's, it's accountability, accountability. You show a play from practice, and somebody who made a mistake is up on the board, whether that's a player or a coach for not teaching something correctly. Um, and that sort of filters down to everything that they do in the building. Um, I also think that, like, from, a, from a, an offensive standpoint, we don't give Sirianni enough credit because Shane Steichen's calling the plays on game day and Jeff Stoutland is designing the run game. But from a game planning perspective, that's, that's Sirianni's baby. Um, and he's talked about like his favorite part of the job is putting together that game plan on Tuesday. It's still his offense. It's still his menu that Shane Steichen is calling plays from. So I think that's one thing he maybe doesn't get enough credit for. But I think just like the, the big Sirianni thing is the overall philosophy and the feeling in the building is something that he has very much created. The menu I, is such uh, a good point. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead, Zach. Oh, no, I, I would just also add situationally, they are so sharp situationally. And yeah. it's, it, it's not something that you often, you know, you, we kind of glorify great play callers or, or you know, the emotional aspect of it, but the, the way they are in end-of-half situations, the way they are coming out of the half, the way they are managing leads, the way they, you know, the, you, you saw Devontae Smith the other day uh, when they rushed to the line on a play that wasn't a catch, but it was a yeah. catch, right? They, 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 they prep that, and my guess is that if you ask Nick Sirianni about any situation in the league in the previous week, he would know what happened and what decision he would make in that spot. He has these meetings, and Zach, I think, is writing about this, where, like, once or twice a week, yeah. it's just he's, like, firing random yeah. situations at coaches and, like, what do you do in this situation? Yeah. What do you call in this situation? And they try to bank, like, we're talking about banking reps. They try to go through that process. The men, using the word menu, I think, is so apt. And we talked about this this summer where their goal on offense was to be able to shapeshift into whatever they wanted to be. And I think 
in terms of planning and realization, that is the most fully realized goal of the 2022 Eagles, in my opinion, is that they can walk into any single game and be anything they want to be on that side of the ball. And I think that Nick Sirianni deserves a lot of credit for that. I think that's exactly right. And I think, I think you're right. That is what they wanted. And it's crazy to see that it was able to be accomplished so, so seamlessly. The other big personality involved with this Eagles organization and kind of the guy who kind of shift the way we talk about him after this game is Howie Roseman. Zach, five years ago, it was the Howie Fuck You tour, right? So he comes <laughs> yeah. back after being banished to the other side of the building. He builds this bully. They win the Super Bowl. I will never forget watching him in the locker room after that game, eating like an uncrustable sandwich because he knew he was about to imbibe a lot of alcohol over the next few hours, and deservedly so. Yeah. Like when you consider what had happened with Chip Kelly and everything like that. This is different. He already did it. He already went on his little victory lap tour. So what is at stake for Howie Roseman now, in your opinion, with this game? Well, I mean, what's at stake is uh, he'll be considered one of the best GMs in a long time. Yeah. If, if he has two Super Bowls on his resume and he's done it, uh, building a team multiple times. He's, he's had the, the luxury of longevity, right? He's worked with four head coaches, uh, which, which you don't often see. It's a unique, it's <laughs> yeah. a unique career to say the least for Howie. Yes. But but he's he's earned the situation that he's in now. And, and something that I I kind of harp on is that I think he's he's better at building rosters than he is at maintaining rosters. And uh, when you look at what he's done from 2021, uh, from the end of the 2020 season to now, unbelievable. He's, he, he, yeah, and he's 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 built that. And when you looked at, at what he did from 2016 you know, to the Super Bowl year, he built that, or he helped build that as well. So I, I think there's there's different muscles, different skills, dis- there's different disciplines required at, at times when you're building as opposed to maintaining. And I think, like, the big Howie Roseman, like, strength, um, like his superpower in, in, relative to other GMs, is that he, he wants to be involved in everything. He's talked about, like, the thing that keeps him up is, at night is the idea that somewhere out there in the league there's someone who might be available and he doesn't yet know about it, Right. Um, and last I'm sure offseason, his wife loves that, right? And last offseason was was an exercise in flexibility yeah. because they went into that offseason. If Russell Wilson had wanted to be in Philadelphia, he probably would have been in Philadelphia. If Deshaun Watson wanted to be in Philadelphia, he probably would have been in Philadelphia. Yeah. Their their free agency plan was Allen Robinson, and at the last second, he got a better d- offer from the Rams. Like so, you know, they tried to be involved in Christian Kirk, but they didn't over. Uh, you know, go over what their set number was, and they wait. They played the waiting game, and all of a sudden, AJ Brown becomes available, and they can trade for him. And all of a sudden, you know, they don't have a cornerback two on the roster. James Bradbury gets released. They've they've set aside the money for that rainy day, and they make that happen. They go get CJ Gardner Johnson, um, and I think that is like his superpower is. Uh, making sure that whatever is going on in the league, he is involved in some matter. And it's creating pivot points for your yes. team. And he's done that in a way that really no one else has done that. And the Jalen Hurts one is one of the most prominent, right? Even picking Jalen Hurts n- nine months after giving Carson Wentz that deal, right? <laughs> Ten months? I was, reading, I was reading our trade grades last night, Zach, or our, our draft night grades on Jalen Hurts. We, I think I, he was the nice one. He gave it a D plus. It was 10 months, wasn't it? It was less than a year. It was less than a calendar year yeah. after giving Carson Wentz that extension. The they contract hadn't Jalen. started yet. Yes, <laughs> they drafted Jalen Hurts. And I think so few organizations and so few general managers would be willing to do that because think about the shit that he ate after doing it. Well, it's also like... You know, obviously he was right because Jalen Hurts had this upside that we didn't know about. He also, like, he, the calculation of how is this going to fit in the locker room, they were wrong about that. Sure. Like, it did create an issue in the locker room. I think that— That, to he, me, though, is a sink or swim thing. That's like a survival of the fittest thing. If it's not going to work out, then who cares? And I think, I think that's that a more good point. people should be unafraid of that. Yeah, that's, that's probably a good point. And, you know, you know Carson Wentz, at that point, the, the questions were more about health than— is he going to like really drop off as a player? It turned out that sort of both things happened. But like you could tell, I mean, we weren't even in the locker room that year, but like the people who came in with Jalen Hurts that, that 2020 season, they could tell that he was wired in a different way. And they've talked about it like looking back that like, you know, he, he was taking it upon himself to do extra work. Like he had this, um, this way that he's wired that was different than Carson Wentz. He's a different personality in the locker room. That offseason also they had gotten rid of Malcolm Jenkins, if you remember. And so yeah. it was like we, the messaging was we want to we turn the locker room over to Carson Wentz and, and let him become a leader. And, that and the Jefferson quarterback happen. in the second yeah. round. Instead, instead, the 21-year-old took over. I'll say, I'll say I was wrong on the, on the pick. And uh, in terms of the valuation, if, if, if you believe in that position, there, there, 
there's too few good quarterbacks in this league, and it's too valuable that if you have conviction on the player and the person, take them. And I wouldn't have said that back in 2020. But if the Eagles could have, uh, if they could have Jeremy Chin right now, or they could have Jalen Hurts, they would obviously take Jalen Hurts. And and so it was it was a, a lesson for me that at that position, if you have conviction, it's you know you take them and, and then you figure out the rest. And by the way. This is my 11th year covering the Eagles. In 10 of those 11 years, including this year, the starting quarterback's been injured. So you better have that backup position in a good spot. If, if only Clayton Thorson had worked out the year before, <laughs> they we would have never yeah. had Jalen Hurts. This isn't a one-time thing either. Remember in 2016, they go out, they have Sam Bradford already. They signed Chase Daniel to that deal. They just signed Sam Bradford to an extension in March. And then they trade up for Carson Wentz. And when that happened, I was like, what the hell are they doing? Like, they have three guys who they're devoting real, real resources to at quarterback. And Howie's kind of mantra on this is kind of like, eh, they're valuable. We'll figure it out. Well, you know what's funny? I, I wrote a story about that process that the Eagles, that, that Howie Roseman had going up from 13-2 to two to get Carson Wentz. And what was so interesting is that he said, he, so this was, uh, as you mentioned before, this is him coming back into power after Chip Kelly leaves. And he, he said that he was dedicated to getting a young franchise quarterback he didn't care who it was. Yeah. It was like it was almost like scouting report agnostic. I just need a guy, and so it, you know he went up and got Carson Wentz. And if if the Rams had drafted Wentz first and uh, Goff had been there, he, that's who he would have drafted. It was just interesting. Like like he, that was what he wanted. He wanted a young franchise quarterback, and I think he learned that that was one of the lessons from his first time in charge. But think about how mirrored the situations are. They go out, they get Carson Wentz, and then they have all these quarterbacks on the roster. And it's like, oh, what are we going to do now? Well. Teddy Bridgewater gets hurt. They get a first-round pick for Sam Bradford. It becomes Derek Barnett. Like, it's not a huge coup. But the fact that they got this first-round pick for an afterthought quarterback was a huge deal. Then, five years later, four years later, they draft Jalen Hurts, and this quarterback that they don't want anymore is worth a first-round pick. Mm. The idea that we're going to try to get all these guys and all these dice rolls at the position because they're inherently valuable, and if we have an excess, we can get something for them, it's happened twice. The only thing that I would take issue with is that I think if Carson Wentz had wanted to stay in Philadelphia when Nick Sirianni came in, they, he would have stayed in Philadelphia. I think it was a little bit of Carson Wentz wanting out, and, and maybe that's the way that they spun it, but I think uh, like that could have led to a, an even crazier 2021 season. Before we get out of here, one more bit of just an Eagles history lesson. Obviously, the Andy Reid part of this. I, I wanted to do something on the show where it was like the overdone narrative you secretly love. Mm. This is this. Like, I secretly love the Andy Reid going back to Philadelphia thing and just every aspect of that. Zach, you were there for that last year in Philly. Just walk me through what the relationship to this game is for Eagles fans, for people who watch the Andy Reid era. Like, how tangled is this for people who were close to it? Well, I think it, it ties into the first question, that it, the question we started this, this podcast with. If the Eagles did not win, uh, it would be much more complicated because Andy Reid had so much success over 14 years. But the big thing was he, he did not win a Super Bowl. You know, they were in, what, five NFC Championship games yeah. in 14 years. They were in the Super Bowl, but they could not win the Super Bowl. And that was ultimately, I don't want to say that was his legacy here because he's, he's won so many games. It was, though. But, but that's often how he's remembered. So the fact that the Eagles won and the fact that Andy Reid won kind of uncomplicates the, that storyline but it's hard to be in the building and, and not see uh, remnants of the Andy Reid era. I mean, literally in the locker room, Jason Kelsey and Brandon Graham, um, Fletcher Cox were brought in by Andy Reid. Howie Roseman was, was the GM under Andy Reid. The, the, like, the, the biggest thing Jeffrey Lurie did before winning the Super Bowl was hire Andy Reid. So Andy Reid very much is part of the fabric of Philadelphia. And I'm thinking back to, you know, I, so I worked for the team back yeah. in 2012. And I'm thinking back to the day that, that Andy Reid was fired. And it was, you know, much, it was a much more ceremonial uh, firing. Yeah. Andy Reid, like, comes into the cafeteria. Jeffrey Lurie, like, delivers him a game ball and is like, you know, thanks him for his service. And Andy Reid just says, hail to the Eagles, baby. Uh, which I always remembered as I didn't understand that that's why he said that. Um, <laughs> And we, we like to joke about hail to the Eagles, baby. But, like, you wouldn't see that with a normal coach firing, right? And, no. And, like, it was very much a love, affa a love affair. It was like this, uh, this very amicable divorce. And I think the fact that they both went on to win is interesting. And then I also think back to Andy Reid then goes to Kansas City, and one of the first things he does is let Nick Sirianni go as the wide receivers coach. That's really funny. It all comes back. I also have to imagine that 
the Eagles winning changes the affections that Eagles fans have for Andy oh, yeah. Reid, no right? Yeah. I mean, it just this would feel much different from their side of it if they hadn't already won. Oh yeah, if this was both of them going for yeah. their first, it would be it would be much more antagonistic. Well, I'm glad that there are good feelings all around, just like there are at this table right now, gentlemen. Really, really appreciate the time. Always great to chat with both of you. Uh, let's have a great week. Thanks for having us. Absolutely. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. I am thrilled now to welcome our chief writer at The Athletic, my longtime friend. Yes, hey, Taylor. sir. How you doing, buddy? I am great, man. We're, We're doing this a lot. We're back, man. We're back. <laughs> Last year was just like a weird off year, but now the Chiefs are back in the Super Bowl. I do want to talk about that, but I want to start by going back to the beginning of this season, okay? So I was talking with Bo and Zach about the chat that I had with Bo during training camp. I I don't go to Chiefs training camp as part of my training camp tour for multiple reasons, but mostly it's very remote and it's very hard to get anywhere else. So you and I did not talk before training camp. Mm Mm-hmm. What were your feelings about this team heading into the season and your expectations for them? Be honest. Yeah, I, I love this question because, and just for context, like it takes me an hour and a half to get from Kansas City to where they are, yes. which is usually like St. Joseph, Missouri. It's a it's a two-hour every day, got to drive up and down, got to see what's going on with the team. My interpretation was that, okay, this is a transition year. Like this is a year I think that's where – that's fair representation. Where it's like, okay, I know – the 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 Chargers are probably the dazzling pick, the the shiny pick in the division. I sort of said, hey, like, you know, Khalil Mack, that's a real, that's a real dude. All right, J.C. Jackson, that's a real dude. Um, they have a bunch of rookies, and so a lot of training camp for me was about just rookie report. Obviously, seeing how Mahomes is going to operate with these new receivers, Juju Smith-Schuster, Marquez Valdez-Scanlon. You know, it was fun to watch Travis Kelsey every day, but it's like he can't just throw it to him every game from here moving forward. Um, and there was a love affair with Isaiah Pacheco. Yeah. And so I did a feature on him pretty early, and I said, okay, there might be something there. I can sort of see what the scouts saw. I can sort of understand what the coaching staff is trying to tell me and trying to get him to understand. But I just thought, man, this is a transitional year. Yeah, 10 and 7, that would be an accomplishment. Hey, getting to the postseason, major ups. Hey, like if you win the division – that will be really a tale of how great Andy Reid and Patrick Mahomes are and having really consistency in terms of the coaching staff, right? Uh, Steve Spagnuolo, been there a long time. Eric Bieniemy has been the offensive coordinator since Mahomes has been the starter in 18. I, I think in our predictions, I, I think I said like 11 and 6 or 12 and 5, and I just said, hey, like it'll, either between, it'll be either between them and the Chargers to win the division. But, like, it's a transitional year. Like, just help these rookies, these newcomers – get an idea of what it's like to play on a contending team and then 2023 will be the real like loaded up all right now they're ready to go for for another super bowl and here we are yep and now that the chiefs logo is back on every single thing that we're looking at every banner in this entire fucking city (laughs) you talk about the rookies on defense you talk about the new pass catchers what were you most worried about depressing their ceiling a little bit um marquez valdez scantlin was basically their replacement for Tyreek Hill. Um, they signed him, or he agreed to join the team the day after they traded Tyreek Hill. And you're like, okay, Andy Reid always wants a speed guy. MVS is a speed guy. But can they have the explosive plays downfield yeah. consistently? You know Mahomes is going to extend the pocket. You know he's going to do wild stuff you know, out of the framework or the structure of the play. But it was just like, can they get chunk plays consistently when it doesn't involve Travis Kelsey? And then on the defense, it's, can they can they cover anybody? Yeah. Like, hey, Juan Thornhill, like, quality player. Justin Reed comes over. He's from the Houston Texans. Like, okay, I can kind of see what they want, interchangeable safeties. But, like, you wouldn't put them at the top two, top ten tandems of, of you know, safety looks. Um, they were leaning heavily on these, you know, young players in Nick Bolton and Willie Gay. 
the coaching staff was basically like, we need Chris Jones to be like all world. And so you're like, eh. check. <laughs> like, uh. So he did that pretty clearly. And then it's like, okay, well, can Frank Clark bounce back? Can Carlos Dunlap still have enough in year 13? Can George Karloff just be competent, serviceable as a rookie pass rusher, which is hard to do when you're not picked in the top 10, right? Yes. Like when you're picked at 30 to be a starting pass rusher, you're like, that's, that's asking a lot. Very rarely do those guys hit the ground running. Like yes. Think about the guy I would compare that to is the guy that the Ravens essentially took with the Orlando Brown pick mm. well, away the year before. Yes. Even if there are flashes, that guy's not going to be somebody who's affecting the game consistently. So who are their playmakers outside of Chris Jones? And, you know, again, can Frank Clark hold up for an entire season? And then you get to the cornerbacks, and you're like, well, Jerry Sneed's really good. You were an early Legereus Sneed guy. I loved, I loved yeah. Legereus Sneed. You were a Sneed. very early Legereus Sneed guy. You deserve a lot of credit for that. Legereus Sneed's really good. Yes. Other teams have three receivers, though. <laughs> <laughs> he can't cover everybody. So Trent McDuffie was their first pick in the draft, yeah. and you thought, okay, like, he's got the footwork. He's got the fluidness. He can operate in man and zone. Okay, I, I, you know, they were surprised that he even fell to them in the draft. Um, and then you just say, like, man, Spags. <laughs> Steve Spagnuolo's going to have to blitz and do some weird stuff and some funky stuff and just hope you get some turnovers. Um, but I thought this defense was going to be like, again, a lot of Chiefs fans are like, can you just be average? Because yeah. the offense is going to be top 10 as long as Mahomes is obviously effective, you know, playing most games. But my early thought was, man, this team is um, – this is fascinating because it's so many established guys, but it's so many young guys, and it's like, you know – can you have the perfect blend of youth and experience? Or is that going to be sort of a thing that sort of fractures? You know, are there silos between the, the, the two sort of groups? But um, they figured it out really, really quickly. When do you think you really understood that they had hit something with this construction of the team and that, that your expectations for them might have even been a little low? So I'll walk people through this. I knew they were going to beat the Cardinals on opening day. Andy Reid does not lose on opening day. Like, that just <laughs> doesn't happen. like six months to yeah, get ready. Yeah. yeah, I felt bad for Cliff Keysbury because I'm like, uh, this, like they're going to come here and they're going to wipe the floor. And, like, you know, you knew Mahomes in camp was very motivated by the fact that, like, well, what are you going to do without Tyreek Hill? Yeah, like, yeah. how's it going to look? How's it going to feel? Like, I don't know if it's going to work with Juju Smith-Schuster or Marcus Aldis-Scantlin. I was not worried about week one. I knew he was going to be motivated. They were going to have an excellent game plan. They were going to win that game. The issue was the schedule said, well, in four days, you have to play the Chargers, yeah. who are also probably going to win their first game. That happened. And I just thought, like, man, well, this is, like, this is a real early test for this team. And then Jalen Watson, their seventh-round pick, had the game-winning interception and did a pretty good job on Mike Williams, of all people. And I said, like, okay, if that's a seventh-round pick and they've coached him to be, you know, an equal player to a guy that is really high in the receiving position skill set, okay. And then it's just – they don't make a ton of mistakes. I think that's the thing that the coaching staff really had the rookies prepared for. Like, they don't make a ton of mistakes. They were actually pretty good in terms of not giving up the explosive play on defense, letting people have to go down the field, you know, have, having them have to matriculate down the field. And then I just thought, like, okay, how good is Mahomes going to be? You know, how, how, how good can he do it in a four-day turnaround with Khalil Mack and Joy Bosa chasing him? And he was excellent. <laughs> he was excellent the second half. Um, to the point that they're running out and up routes to Justin Watson, who is the fifth <laughs> receiver, sixth receiver. And he's burning J.C. Jackson in the yes. process. Yeah. And, I, and I was just like, oh, okay. Well, like, they're, they're okay, they won that game. They're 2-0, and and it's like, okay, they, they might be better than even I anticipated or than a lot of people anticipated. Um, and then you just saw little by little, Mahomes in the pocket. Just the best. Yeah. Mahomes extending plays the best Mahomes in like avid you know not advantageous situations third and long they're still the best offense in the league and you just you just sit there and I felt bad for Tom Brady when they played the Buccaneers in like October in a Sunday night game and they just went right down the field and I was like but this was the same team that yeah that like sort of showed everybody how to defend them and now they're now they've graduated to another level of like you think you want to take this away we're going to do this and they could run the ball better now this time than a year ago obviously part of that is Isaiah Pacheco but um, they were they they got more production out of the rookies faster than I think they anticipated and then that production mostly remained stable and it just kept growing so 
when you have a coaching staff and a scouting department that can say, look, these guys are worth it. We just need you to help bring them along as a veteran, whether it's Kelsey, whether it's you know Chris Jones, Frank Clark, obviously Patrick Mahomes. And then those guys see the rookies produce in the first month of the season. Now, now there's real um, bonds, there's real relationships, and now it's coaches and players saying like, okay, we can do something with these young guys. It's just a matter of can they do it consistently over a 17-game season. And that proved to be the case. Um, they lost to the Beals in a close game. They lost to the Bengals in a close game. But they've been pretty much a surefire contender since they beat the Buccaneers in early October. The defensive backs specifically, the young guys, what is the secret sauce that this team seems to have in being able to kind mm. of cobble together this defensive backroom every single season? Because mm-hmm. In previous years, it wasn't – sometimes it's their own homegrown guys like Legereus Sneed. Yep, or um, Traverius Ward, Ward was undrafted, yep. and they've been able to really do that. But whether it's a Mike Hughes or somebody mm-hmm. like that where they're getting these guys off the scrap heap and somehow by the end of the season, <laughs> they're getting so, – and they're 31st in secondary spending this season. They, we, we I talked on the show about the show with Nate today. Against the cap combined, their five starting secondary guys in nickel mm-hmm. make less against the cap than Jimmy Ward and Jesse Bates individually wow. and that's what they did this year what is it about and Dave jesse Merritt? Bates was on the franchise tag yes for just one year one year so one on guy the franchise tag so whether wow. it's dave Merritt, steve spagnola like what is it about their ability to somehow get more than the sum of the parts from that position group specifically well that's how spagnola came up in coaching okay. right yeah. was as a db coach with andy reed with uh, obviously the baltimore ravens at a certain point in time um, Dave Merritt deserves a ton of credit. He called the five rookies they basically drafted for the secondary, the Fab Five. Um, spoiler alert, none of those kids knew what the Fab Five meant. <laughs> That's how old we're getting. Dave Merritt looked at me and was like, oh, they, no. didn't know. they didn't know what, they didn't even know, they didn't even get the reference. And I was like, but Dave, <laughs> so they don't know who Jalen Rose is? Oh, uh, Yeah, they had to Google There's it. a guy named Jalen on the team, and yeah. I guarantee you he wouldn't be named Jalen if it weren't for Jalen Rose. Well, you know, it's, it's, uh, these youngins, I tell you. But, no, they, they've done a really good job of – obviously, they have a type, which is usually above six-foot long arms. Yeah, that's like a really, really Richard good Like the Richard Sermon, like, yep. like hey, like, it, you know, uh, there's one way of going about this. They want to press people. They want to get up in people's faces. We don't want to make you comfortable, right? So even for someone like LeJarrius Sneed, who has graduated to now kind of being their shadow guy, it's like, well, all right, well, you can go take – DK Metcalf on, even though he's physically tough and hard to jam at the line of scrimmage. Like, we're going to ask you to do that. They want to make the offense uncomfortable, which means tight window throws. Um, And really, a lot of quarterbacks like to throw the 50-50 ball because it, I mean, all the rules are in the advantage of the offense, right, between pass interference. Obviously, uh, guys can adjust to a ball a little bit better on offense, but the Chiefs are not afraid of that. So what you see is Trent McDuffie is kind of the outlier but his footwork is so good. Yeah. His cover skills are pretty pristine for a rookie. And they put him on Jamar Chase in the AFC Championship game. And he didn't get cooked to where the Bengals, and I'm sure you saw this on tape, the Bengals in the second half are like, yeah, we don't want to we don't want to mess with him anymore. Like we would we would like to try Joshua Williams now, a fourth round pick from a Division II program. And the Chiefs are like, great. It's still gonna be press. It's still gonna be, you know, man up. You know, they're gonna have a little bit of a different look from the safeties because the safeties change so much yeah. from down to down but honestly it's just an idea of like we're going to teach you how to press we're going to teach you to trust that chris jones is going to be impactful so it's not like you're covering guys for four seconds it's like do the best you can for two seconds and then try to locate the ball one of my small criticisms were is that they didn't really teach the rookies how to catch the ball there's some interceptions <laughs> <laughs> that, you know taking the ball away is important Robert they, they don't really emphasize that that's the one downside but whether it's Jalen Watson it's just like hey get your hands on them they started adding more zone coverages as the season went along so now they're they have a real mix and match but they're like tall guys they're like speed guys they're like guys who are not afraid and that's the best thing about this defense especially in the rematch against the Bengals was hey Every now and then, T. Higgins is going to mosh you because he's amazing. And they're like, okay, Brian Cook, who's a, you know, second-round safety, who is also a rookie, doesn't get beat on the same, you know, essentially the same route with Joshua Williams in, you know, T. Higgins' hip. So they're not afraid. And I think it's one of the fascinating matchups about this game is because 
you can make an argument that T. Higgins and Jamar Chase are better than A.J. Brown it's, and Devontae They're at least at the same level and they're in the same conversation. And, yeah. they, and they weren't – it wasn't a – it wasn't just a major disadvantage no. for the defense. And so if that plays over into this game, it helps perhaps the, the Chiefs immensely because they're just relying on rookies who are coachable, unafraid. Um, you know, Trip McDuffie told us last week, and this will be in a story that will come out later in The Athletic, but that they were doing their own study hall basically, that they were going to each other's house in OTAs and saying, like, how would you do this? What is the terminology that you understand? Um, how did it work for you in college? And then they've really kept that on. So it's part coaching, but it's part their own sort of makeup to where sometimes you can look at it a different way. You're like, man, if we, we draft too many players at the same position, they're going to worry about time and, you know, who's getting the snaps and, you know, how do I impress the coaching staff? Well, for whatever reason, they found the right guys from a makeup that said that they're all going to work together so that they can all succeed together. And if football is the ultimate team sport, They've done it again with these with these rookies um, at the cornerback position, understanding that they were going to get the majority of the reps. They were so good so early, Robert. They traded Rashad Fitton, their most their most experienced cornerback, at the trade deadline. They gave Rashad Fitton to the Atlanta Falcons for basically a bag of balls because they were like, we can just do this all the time. Like we were we drafted Rashad Fitton in the sixth round. He helped us win the Super Bowl and. 54 against the 49ers, we just trade him away because we just drafted three rookies who were perhaps even better than he was <laughs> when he was a rookie. So they've 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 exceeded all expectations. But I'm I'm glad that you mentioned that because what they've done in the secondary, considering that Jesse Bates, who is very good and you know deserves the franchise tag because the Bengals are the Bengals, is just like wow they are they have they have found a way under Mahomes' contract, under Kelsey's contract, under Chris Jones's contract to still have competent starters at really important positions. You said early in this conversation, I think it's exactly right, that this season was going to be a test of the influence that Patrick Mahomes and Andy Reid could have. And yeah. what putting more on their plate could do is you skimmed elsewhere and rebuild elsewhere. And I think that mm -hmm. we've seen the fullest realization of that plan. I wanted to ask you, Three guys, Patrick Mahomes, Andy Reid, Chris Jones. Of those three guys, mm. your opinion of those three, yes. who, which has changed the most between August 1st and right now? Chris Jones. I, I knew Chris Jones was their best player when the season started on defense. Like, that was just a given. It was just a matter of could he, he, could he reach another level? Yeah. And he really did. And Joe, he was my defense player of the year. I, I heard, yeah. and I was, I was like, I was like, look at, look God, at this take guy. His agent's so good. By look the way. at this guy. That was before the championship game. Yeah. Now he had not had a postseason sack uh, before the championship game. He has two. Obviously, the game that you know, the sack that really ends the Bengals season. You could argue. He also had eight pressures in that game. <laughs> he played pretty well. He played inside and yeah. outside. Yeah. It's it's nuts what he can do. My my opinion of him has really changed because. You knew he was a good player, Pro Bowl level, but could he get to like All Pro, obviously Defensive Player of the Year level? I don't know. I was I was doubtful. I was like, look, man, they're just gonna double team you, and they should. And, and they did, <laughs> and it didn't really <laughs> it that didn't matter, matter that much. Matter. Yeah, and it didn't matter. That's that's the thing. So for Andy Reid, I understood. Like I would talk to Pat, and he would say, like, well, you know, Nate, um, he won with Donovan McNabb, yeah, Alex Smith. Uh, you want me to keep going? I was like, no, you don't have to keep going with the, with the list. I understand, Patrick. I, I don't doubt Andy Reid. You know, I understand that he has these hard training camps, these, like, grueling training camps in the hot summer in Kansas City when it's basically a furnace, um, or basically in St. Joseph, Missouri. Oh, so so it's like It's disgusting. So, again, like – Missouri in the summer. They're beating the Cardinals because they're going to be the more conditioned team. He's going to put them through a ton of scenarios that are game-like. So nothing should seem super-duper foreign to them on opening day. It's just how do you manage them over the course of the season. Obviously, I'm not doubting Patrick Mahomes because it's just like, okay, I understand like Tyreek Hill is not on the team. I understand that there are times where Tom Brady didn't have Randy Moss and he was just fine. So I'm glad you made that comparison because that's kind of what this is starting to feel like. Mm. Where you, the only real comparison you can make about the consistency of a team being in this game and kind of the unrelenting greatness that you start to get beat over the head with is what the Patriots felt like. Mm -hmm. And I think at times over the last decade, so I started doing this full time really in like 2011, okay? 
So the Patriots went to the Super Bowl in 2011. They went to the Super Bowl in 2014. They went to the Super Bowl in 2016. They went to the Super Bowl every yeah, yeah. single yeah, year. Every other year, yeah, so, yeah, yeah. And that's now what this is starting to feel like. And I think it becomes difficult to kind of understand the nuances of how to appreciate these guys in a different way. Mm. Like, Patrick Mahomes is just great. Tom Brady is just great. Right. So what about Patrick Mahomes do you maybe understand a little bit differently now than you did coming into this season? So in the past, and he's acknowledged this, in the past, hey, I got a one-on-one with Tyreek. I don't need to do anything else. Yeah. <laughs> like, just it's I, not I a might, bad strategy. I might, I might tell, hey, make the pre-check. All right, everybody good? Everybody good? All right, I got my one-on-one. I got my matchup, and I'm going to go. Well, now that's not there, and he's just become a more sophisticated quarterback. The, the stat to me, Robert, that, that blew my mind, because I started tracking it towards the middle of the season when, again, we realized, hey, they're, they're really good. They might be in the Super Bowl. He stopped taking sacks. Hey, this doesn't do it. It's insane. He just chose not to do it anymore. There, there would be moments where I would stop the all 22 and be like, how was he got out of this? Like, what? You know, I'm climbing in the pocket, and I'm throwing a 41-yard strike to, again, Justin Watson, my fifth receiver for a touchdown. Hey, there's a times where, you know, every left tackle gets beat, okay? When Orlando Brown gets beat, it gets beat. It's, it's bad. It's bad. You know, he does not <laughs> die a slow death. So <laughs> Orlando Brown gets beat, and you stop the tape, and you go, oh, it's going to be tough. And then it's like, oh, he'll just scramble around. And then he'll do, like, one of these to Jarek McKinnon, and it's a touchdown? Like, what? That's supposed to be a sack. Um, it's the amount of negative plays that he actually influences and manipulates. Yeah. That's where he actually has grown, I think, within, the obviously, the structure of the offense, right? I mean, he's now got two guys. And I know Juju hasn't been as effective in the second half of the year. But early on, it was just like, okay, like, Kelsey's over here. Juju, yeah. seven yards. Totally fine with That's that. That's the thing that you talked about, the finding explosive plays. and coming into the season that was my thought too it's like all right they have mvs now they have a field stretcher mm-hmm. they'll still be able to do this they led the league in 20 plus yard completions but he averaged like 7.6 air yards yeah, per it's not attempt. A ton. it was like 20th in the league yeah it's not like, a ton he yeah. is the way they, they would get explosive plays out of screens that that's but that's what they started doing yes their ability to kind of create explosive plays playing within a certain confined space mm-hmm it was wild to watch. Mm-hmm. Like, stylistically, how much they've sh- – and really started last year, obviously, right? As more yeah, teams right. started putting a cap As on they things. Adjusted, and, yes. But now you have – Tyreek was still a big part of that because you have a horizontal speed where you could get the ball in his hands and there mm-hmm. were a lot of yak. So now you remove that and you have these guys who just built a little bit differently. Like, MVS is a speed guy, but he's not a yak guy. No. So how are you He's not create- even a 50-50 ball guy. No, it, it's just <laughs> – and that's why – Sometimes when I think about the offense and sometimes when I try to, like, wrap my arms around it, I'm like, this doesn't really make sense. <laughs> like, the fact that they were one of the most ten, the 10 most efficient offenses of the last decade uh-huh. with this personnel, uh-huh. that's why I ask, like, how has our opinion and thought about Patrick Mahomes changed? Because that's how mine has. It's like, this, the virtue of this guy's presence mm-hmm. and a guy like Travis Kelsey is enough to give you one of the best offenses of the last 10 years. That's insane. With, with, the, with the offensive line, that is arguably one of the best in the league, right? Um, you know, Orlando Brown has done really well. He's a pro bowler, but they have Creed Humphrey, you know, maybe the second best center in the league behind Jason Kelsey. Um, they drafted in the sixth round and got Trey Smith, who was really an All-American at Tennessee, but, injuries. you know, injuries yeah. is the reason he fell in the draft. He's been $3 million against the cap combined for those two guys, by the way. He's been as durable sure. as they could, as you could ask an offensive lineman to be between Creed Humphrey and, and, and Trey Smith. And then, of course, they, they really they acquired Joe Tooney for the fact of, like, well, you're, you're just yeah, the yeah. best left guard in terms of pass protection when we just put you right here. Um, but, no, it, it's a great point because, Robert, I, I think I know you – I'm sure, I'm sure you guys talked about this, but they were in L.A. on that Sunday night. I believe they had Jody Fortson, who was a tight end, who they, you know, a, a hybrid receiver that yeah, they he's sort of a tight end that they yeah, converted yeah, yeah. to a tight end. But basically, um, he goes in jet motion. He wears eighty eight. Like yes. yeah, he's he's kind of a tight end. And this, yeah. and this yeah. is the play I'm talking about. He goes in jet motion on a swing route, yeah. on a wheel route, basically, and he throws an absolute dime. And you're like, what? What other? What other offense is doing this? And it's just like, I don't know. You mentioning the, the Creed Humphrey and Trey Smith thing, along with the rookie DBs, though, I think is important mm-hmm. because it brings me to another comparison to the Patriots where every year you've got this slightly tweaked version of the roster mm-hmm. where you find value here and you find value there. And 
Patrick Mahomes rightfully is going to suck up so much oxygen as to why this team is successful. He's about to win right. his second MVP in mm-hmm. five years. He's the best player in the league. Andy Reid is fantastic at what he does. But I don't know if we give enough credit to Brett Veach and the ways that this team has kind of consciously built itself in this new iteration. Because mm-hmm. while Patrick Mahomes can make up for a lot of the ills you would have in other areas, they've done a fantastic job yeah. of finding value in those really important places. The secondary, the offensive line, all these different spots where because you're paying Patrick Mahomes $35 million, because you're paying Chris Jones $23 million, yep. because you're paying Travis Kelsey, you need to find some coins in the couch cushions, <laughs> and they have done a very good job of doing that. They consider every draft class we cannot miss. Yeah. We cannot miss anymore. It, because that's where, that's where you are now. Yes. Yeah. That is exactly where you are now. And so, obviously, I heard Brendan Bean's comments, and I was like, well, you're not wrong. But I also know that the Chiefs look at it as we, we can't – like our draft allocation, which is part of the Tyreek Hill trade, right? We need, to, we need to actually get more picks so that we can have more chances to obviously develop younger players on obviously controlled contracts. That calculus is what's in my brain as I say this. Is, is that plan coming together in the way that it it's did? It's wild. I mean, they got Brian Cook and basically Trent McDuffie from that trade. Yes. When you really look at it. And the fact that the Patriots are like, you want to trade? And they're like, sure. And we'll just get Trent McDuffie and Brian Cook. We're going to play in the Super Bowl. But they look at it as they can't miss anymore because, you know, whether it's what the Patriots did, Robert, or whether it's what the Colts used to do, right? Hey, we have Andrew Luck. But for whatever reason, like, you look at those draft classes, it's it's not yeah. pretty. Um, they've gotten Willie Gay in the second round. He's a starting linebacker. Next year, they got Nick Bolton, second round. Same position at linebacker. So they've really tried to figure out a way of how can we get our scouts to understand that these players are both coachable and they're athletically gifted to where you can get their production at obviously a reduced cost compared to obviously going after free agents. It's hard for, I think, for Chiefs fans to realize because they're like, well, we have Mahomes. Like, like we should just be a destination. Like, just – come to Kansas City and it's like that's not that's not how it works (laughs) it's a secondary thing the first thing money talks is the first thing yes and it's because you have to get those sort of mid-tier veterans who can obviously fill in roles at certain positions but really it comes down to the draft I mean they obviously moved 17 spots to go from 27 to 10 to get Patrick Mahomes right and one of the best things about that is now it sort of convinces Clark Hunt the team owner that we have to do this every year. We have to be flexible. Yeah. We have to be really consistent. And now, as we get to the second phase, we've got to build players who not only appreciate what Patrick Mahomes can do, but are now going to be motivated and are going to see his work ethic and going to be inspired to do similar things. So it's one thing if you get 10 rookies and your quarterback's not Patrick Mahomes. It's another thing when you draft 10 guys and they look at Patrick Mahomes every day, Chris Jones, Frank Clark, Travis Kelsey, and you're like, now they've set the example, and now you can get on this sort of second phase because those players – Do they use that phrase? Or is that something that you just say? I'm curious. I, I don't think they've said it publicly. Okay, but, but, but privately when you talk to yeah, them, they, they think of it that way. Yes, yeah. I mean, they, they, have, they have found another way – to remain competitive despite the fact that, like like you said, they, they have to draft well now. Like there's – I think the way Brett Veach looks at it, the general manager, is there's no excuses. Yeah. Like if we aren't giving him the best, then what are we doing? If we're not giving Chris Jones another added additional player in George Karloftis and telling Chris, hey, you're still going to be the star. You're still going to be where all of this sort of revolves around, but you need to do your job to help groom and develop George Karloftis and then in the second half of the season he basically takes off and starts becoming an actual effective pass rusher the 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 players and the coaches and the executives have found a way to all see what the other part is doing the last thing I wanted to ask you just like a little inside baseball question so last year they convert Mahomes's I think roster bonus to signing bonus. They clear up a ton of cap space. This mm-hmm. year they choose not to which, do that. Which surprised me. So that, I I was wondering do you think – why do you think that they didn't do that this year? Do you think it's going to be an every other year thing? Like, how do you think they're conceiving of the ways that they can weaponize the length of that contract yes. to their advantage? I, I think it might become an every other year thing now because 
what I was trying to report and trying to understand was like, it's right there. It's yeah. right in front of you. Like just I was also a little bit surprised when it. they didn't do it, but I also think it might speak to how they saw the season, mm-hmm. right? Where mm-hmm. they also maybe think this is a little bit of a transition year. Mm-hmm. If we can only pull this lever so often, mm-hmm. do we save it for next year when maybe the roster is a little bit more fully realized? And then they're here. When teams try to tell you who they are, you should listen to them. Yes. And I think that they tried to tell us that maybe this wasn't a Super Bowl team. They got to the damn yeah, Super yeah. Bowl. And they're here again. It's 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 a, it's stunning. Fifteen's it, pretty good. It's it's really stunning. Yeah, the the, the thing about last offseason was just like, okay, if they're going to not use that, then yeah, then it even gets maybe more effective next year because the cap will be a little bit more expensive. And Clark Hunt, I'm sure is he knows. Super, is a little bit mindful of his wallet. Yeah, he knows. Like it's yes. like when you're you're when you out, cut that check, it's yes. a real check. Yes, <laughs> it, is, it is a real check in the cash you spend yes. every year. Yes. So, it's uh, I think I believe they were 21st in cash spending this season, um, which I think that's right. It's somewhere yeah. in the 20s. And, and that and that also goes to the Tyreek Hill stuff, right? For much of the combine, it was like how can we how can we fit him in? Yes. And then you come out of the combine, and then the market changes, which I think they kind of knew was coming. Um, I don't think. What I don't think I realized was like, oh, A.J. Brown's getting traded at the draft? That may change some things, you know? So if you know all these guys are coming to get market-setting deals, they tried before the combine to be like, can we manipulate this or manage it somehow? And then I think once it got to a certain point, they said, well, if we have him on our roster, what is our rookie class? Yeah, we can't do anything else. Yeah. yeah. And they made a decision. It was calculated. Um, Tyreek wanted to be the highest paid receiver. That is his prerogative. Um, you could say he earned that. He did. He, you, he earned the ability to do that. Um, so I think both sides are not um, disgruntled about it, but I think they both understood that, like, it's it's time to move on. To phase two. Yeah. And phase two has been kicked off in a pretty robust way, I would mm-hmm. say. Hey, Taylor, it's always good to see you, buddy. Yeah, man. I like the fact that the Chiefs are in the Super Bowl because that means you and I get to hang out every year. It's a great, it's a great time, yeah. man. I'm I'm so happy to see you uh, because obviously you're in my headphones for oh, that's very nice <laughs> hours hours during the week. <laughs> but yeah, it's it's a it's a joy to be here and to be to be back in like a legit radio row, man. Yeah. We're we're here, man. I'm excited to be here and I'm very glad that you're here as well. Thank you very much for the time, my friend. We'll talk to you soon. Yes, sir. You know it. All right, guys, that's all we got. Thank you so much to Bo and Zach for stopping by. Thank you to Nate Taylor. I love doing the show every year. It's just such a unique thing that we get to do at The Athletic and the resource that we have with all of our fantastic beat writers who know these teams in a way that really nobody else does. So appreciate their time. Appreciate your guys' time. We're going to have ridiculous amount of stuff coming your way here over the next five days we're gonna have all of the shows that you come to expect from us we're gonna have football gm this week is gonna come a day earlier it's actually gonna come on wednesday the same day the prospects to pros is going to run so you will hear from dane you'll hear from andy you'll hear from mike and randy the same way you would every other week nate is going to be joining me here in phoenix tomorrow we're going to be coming at you guys multiple times throughout the week including our preview show at the end of the week we're going to have some video stuff coming your way if you have not subscribed to our youtube channel you can do that at the link in the description of this podcast so click on it go subscribe because we got some fun stuff coming your way all week here from phoenix for now that's all we got appreciate you guys listening we'll talk to you soon This was the Athletic Football Show.